right. Well, it is amazing to gather together. <coughs> Excuse me. It's amazing to gather together and continue um, this this series that uh, I did not plan on continuing uh, the first Sunday, but it's been just continuous on my heart. And uh, and this one is called the Vine, the Conquered King, the Conquered King. We're going to read first out of Second Samuel chapter six. We're going to go through the uh, we're going to go through this chapter. It's really great. Um, the context that we're looking at is that King David uh, was just made king not too long before this. Uh, not anointed king. He was anointed king a lot earlier in his life, but he, uh, he took over as king as at, uh, at the age of 30. Took over, and then he came through and uh, started to conquer the, the, the neighboring lands and, uh, and solidify it for, for Israel again. And so this is where we find David. We find him here at this place of, of taking taking rulership and uh, and coming to the place of, of of leadership and pushing Israel into the next place that they're supposed to be in. So 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1 says this. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bela in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty who was enthroned between the cherubim of the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with uh, castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, Sistrums and cymbals. So they were bringing the Ark of God from, uh, from a different location that was not in Jerusalem, where it was supposed to be um, in, the, in the tabernacle, in the, in the city of God. And so they were taking it from this location, and they were bringing it back into the city where, where the king was located at. So it was going to—I mean, this is a glorious thing for them to be able to take the Ark that was, that was taken. I mean, there's all kinds of things that happened with the Philistines and, uh, and, and all kinds of different— the Amorites, all the ites and things like that, they all came against Israel, and then at some point they, uh, they removed the Ark of, of God from that location. And so they're now bringing it back into Israel. So this is a really, really amazing opportunity, amazing thing that they're doing right now is by bringing them back. However, when they came to the fleshing, threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the Ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the Ark of God. Like, you mean God just, like, struck down a dude just because he tried to stabilize the Ark of the Covenant to make sure it didn't fall? I mean, that was the, where the presence of God was located, right? You'd think that would be a really great thing for someone to stabilize and to make sure the things were where it was at. However, there's a, uh, <coughs> there's a specific law that was put in place <coughs> that God gave Moses as far as how the ark was supposed to be carried. The ark was not supposed to be carried by a cart. It was supposed to be on two poles with four men carrying the ark from one location to another. Anytime the ark was, spo was supposed to be moved, you had four priests. You had two in the front, two in the back. Two poles, they ran straight through specific pieces so that the ark could be carried on the shoulder of priests. However, here in this scene, we see that they put the ark on a cart. 
It was a new cart, so that's awesome. You know, hooray. David had all kinds of resources. A new cart, wonderful. They started moving the ark of God through. But as one of the oxen stumbled, <coughs> the ark of God also just started to shift. And so Uzzah, being someone, I mean, I think a, any one of us would have done the exact same thing that Uzzah did. I mean, you have something that's of supreme value to your people group. You know that the presence of God is, is, is so evident in the middle of this. This is a huge, I mean, they're bringing this, this move, essentially, their movement of God that's coming from one location back into the house of God, back into, into the, the city capital, essentially, the nation's capital, and it starts to wobble. And so what do you do with something that's extremely valuable? Do you let it fall to the floor? No, typically not. Every one of us would say, no, you would not let it break, right? You want to stabilize it. So he put his hands on it and set it back in its place. And God's anger burned against Uzzah and struck him dead in that moment. <coughs> let me continue reading. I'll make my point in a second. I almost said it. I'm going to withhold that for a second. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, the place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the, the, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now the king was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went up to bring the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying, aha, a difference was made between the last time that they were transporting the ark to this time. For those, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Okay, I'm going to take a pause right here. You notice that there was a difference between the first time that they were transporting the ark to this time that they were transporting the ark. Very unique. It's very subtle. If we're, if we're not paying attention, you may miss this. But the Lord had a very specific way that he designed for the, the presence of God to be carried from one place to another. And David decided that he was going to use a new, a, a new system, a new, a new uh, structure, uh, a new transportation system to move the ark from one location to. I mean, it's brand new. It said there, it's a new, it was a new cart. It's awesome that he had resources. It's great to have resources. Wonderful. But it was this new cart that caused with the oxen to move to stumble. This is, this is really telling for what, what we need to be paying attention to right now with what God's doing. Because it's easy for us to get excited and try to do things around the presence of God with new systems, new means, and new ways. And you could have great intentions in the midst of those systems, in the midst of those those new um, uh, new ways to to facilitate things and th and all those things, and that's awesome. However, it's if it's against the way that God has intended it to do, then it's going to be very difficult, and you could find yourself in opposition to God's will. 
Let's go a little bit deeper, okay? Let's, let's think about this a little bit more. David, instead of putting the ark on the shoulders, the presence of God on the shoulders of those who have been entrusted, the priests of Israel, instead of putting the presence on the shoulders of these people, he put it on a cart that was manned by oxen. He, he left it to a system ran by animals, a system that was, that was structured around easy and ease for everyone who was there, made it more easy for them not to have to carry the weight, not to have to carry the burden of the presence, and left it to a system. However, the presence is supposed to move through people and not through a system. The presence is supposed to rest on individuals to carry the weight of the presence from one location to the other, from one place to the next place. It was never meant to be placed on a system or put through a specific type of, um, of organization or activity. This was meant to be placed on, on people. I heard a guy named Michael Kulianos talking a little, bit a little bit about this not too long ago, and he said that there were two poles, and those two poles carried the, the presence of God, the, the perfect presence of God. Just like there were two poles that ended up on Gethsemane, or are in Gol Golgotha, two poles that ended up on Golgotha with our Savior, giving us access to the presence of God again. So the weightiness of the presence was never meant to be on a system or an organization. It was meant to be on people. Let's go, let's go a little bit more into today's context. The presence of God was never meant to merely be done or to merely operate out of just Asbury. It was never meant to just be in out of Brownsville. It was never meant to be out of Toronto. It was never just meant to be out of a single location, but it was meant to be facilitated through people who were passionate and on fire for the Lord, able and capable of carrying the burden of the presence that was there. Oh, you're, you're amazing, Catherine. Oh. That, that buzz, buzz was, was really relevant there. Um, the presence was never meant to be something that was moved through just a facility or a system there. The oxen were not equipped to carry the presence in the way that the priests were dedicated to, to, to carefully holding and hosting his presence. And now if our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, as Paul adequately put and as Jesus displayed in his representation of hosting the presence of God, is that, that now we are meant to be priests unto the Lord with Christ as our high priest. We were meant to, to host the presence of God, not put it on a church to host it for you so that you can go to that location, experience the presence, and that's good and well, but I don't carry the burden of having to pay attention with every step that I take, knowing that the presence of God is on my shoulders, is with me. You realize that death comes upon you whenever you put faith in a system instead of faith in Christ. Then when you try to stabilize the system to keep the system up because it looks better when it's up there, you'll realize that death will be easily at your doorstep. I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about spiritually you feel dead. Because there's a lot of people, I mean, you, you could also work yourself to death for sure. 
just working for a system and not having any kind of satisfaction. But you realize that whenever you just work for a system or when you just put the, the emphasis of the presence of God on a system or on a church or on a movement, then you lost sight of what God is trying to do inside of his people. Jesus came to save people. He did not come to save buildings. I'll say that again. He came to save people, not buildings. And so whenever you find that there's a move of God, it's amazing, and we can go and we can encounter God there, but we're also supposed to be, my buddy calls it embers. It's like those, those ember, those fire embers that you take with you and you take to each location that you go to because you're holding, it's just like the parable that Jesus used, those who had the oil in their lampstand ready with the fire burning, ready for, the, for, the, for the, their groom to come. We need to be ready and we need to host the presence of God ourselves and not put it on a system not put it on this church, not put it on another church in town, not put it on some big ministry that we follow, that we think that they have really good sermons and messages, and we heard that they do really great jobs. That's amazing and wonderful. However, if you yourself are not equipped to host the presence of God in your life, then you're going to miss the mark every single time. You could be around people who are amazing marksmen, and they're hitting the target every single time. You're like, wow, this is incredible. I'm that person's friend. But that has nothing to do with you actually having access to hitting the mark yourself. They can help lead you and guide you and show you ways that they're able to hit the mark and ways that they've been able to be encouraged and how they've been able to fine-tune their shot. However, you have to shoot yourself. You have to shoot that arrow yourself. And so we see that, that in this depiction of what happened as they were carrying the presence, they were excited. They had great intentions. They're bringing the ark of God, the presence of God, back into Jerusalem. Phenomenal. However, they decided that they were going to do it through a system instead of hosting it on their own, their own shoulders, placing the presence of God there. Some of us are, are, are really excited about the passage that says um, that they're supposed to remove their burdens and take on the burden that, that Jesus gives them, which is easy and it's light. Doesn't mean that there are no burdens. We mistake that doesn't mean you don't have burdens at all anymore. It's that you take on the burden that the Lord has set on your own shoulders. Bless you. Well, that wasn't prophetic. I saw she was like leaning back and ready to go. So don't people get weird on me here now, okay? <laughs> but we have to be prepared to take on the burden that God has given us. And, and Jesus says that his, bur his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It is a burden. It is a yoke. You still have to have that. It doesn't mean that you put everything on a cart now and you just let it go and now you're just completely burden free and have no responsibility at all we still have responsibility when you enter into the kingdom of heaven then you have a responsibility and that responsibility is to host the presence of god everywhere you go so that whenever you show up somewhere you can they can tell that there's something joyous about you even in the midst of your suffering you can still have joy james 1 2 consider pure joy when you encounter various trials knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance Consider it pure, pure joy. It is pure joy when you encounter those trials. Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. We know that if we encounter trials, that he will see us through those trials. And at the back end of that, we can use that as a great testimony of God's faithfulness in the middle of my life. Regardless of the outcome, we know that God gets the glory in the middle of all of it. And so we see then, man, this is amazing. So, so, so David said, man, the house of Obed-Edom has been blessed. When you, when, you remove, <laughs> when you remove the presence of God 
from, from your own feeling of responsibility. You're like, I'm not going to host this presence. I'll let somebody else do that. You'll look around and you'll start to notice that those who are hosting the presence of God in their life are blessed. Now here it shows a, a, a monetary and business flourishing that happened here. I'm not talking you're just you're going to get rich. That's not the, the, the point of this message here. But the point of it is that they were blessed. That's the key phrase that we have to look at right there. The house of Obed-Edom was blessed as they hosted the presence of God in that place. And David heard the report after he removed the burden of, of transporting the presence of God. He put the burden on somebody else to do it. And he heard reports, hey, this dude is being really blessed right now. This is happening. This is things are really happening for this guy. And then he started to realize this is something that as a leader, I have to be hosting the presence of God in the location that God had originally designed for us to host it so that the nation could be blessed, not just so this household could be blessed. And that's the responsibility that we begin to carry is that we realize that if we host the presence of God in our own lives, then we can share it with those who are around us and with us by describing the goodness of God in the midst of our lives. And when we do that, we then can introduce them to the blessings that they can receive by having a life enriched by the Lord. Not their pocketbooks enriched by the Lord, but their lives enriched by the Lord. You can have zero dollars in the bank account and be the most blessed person in the room because you carry the presence of God with you. And so he says this. It says, uh, again, verse 14. Or, yeah, you're 15. Let's state, let's state it. Verse 15. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. They were celebrating. Verse 16, he says, As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. She was King David's wife. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. He then gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half-naked in full view of slave girls and of his servants, as in any vulgar fellow would. She was mad. Woo! David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more indignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Now, why was this so important? Of course, it's a little weird seeing someone like, like David was essentially like in his undies, <laughs> like dancing around and, and, and going, going wild. Just a, just a linen, linen ephod he had on. This is why this was so significant of what David was doing. It wasn't just that, like, oh, why is this dude in some, like, underwear? Like, that's, that's, that's just a weird passage. And then God honored him being in his undies? Like, we don't celebrate that here at this church. 
<laughs> if you're in your undies, let's let's take you to the food to the uh, to the clothing pantry. Let's get you some something to wear or something. I don't know. Shoot, we need we need something on you. That's that's not quite the way that we roll around here. This is the reason why this was so important. Andy Bird brings this up in uh, in some of his studies. He said that that a king, when conquered, would be stripped of his garments, walked around in the middle of the city that he was conquered from, displaying that he had been conquered by a different king and that their kingdom was now under new rulership. I'm going to say that again. The king that was conquered is stripped of their kingly garments, put in their ephod. This was supposed to be a humiliating act as you would be paraded through with the new king shown on high and that king showed conquered and low. David was celebrating that he had been conquered by God and that his kingdom was not his own, but it was the Lord's. His description given, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about this. His description given to Michael about what just happened was that he would be seen with honor. He would be even more undignified than this. He would take the humility or the, the, the humiliation upon himself so that God could receive the glory in the middle of everything. Because do you know what happened to the king beforehand? Their first king, Saul, he became so much of a people-pleasing person that he decided that he wanted to put on a show for people to display that he was in a place of, um, of leadership and that he could do everything that everybody else wanted him to. And so that he was made a right decision that, you know, they didn't choose wrong by choosing him. David said, I don't care about everybody else. The Lord is the one who chose me over your father, Saul, when he was still king, anointed me as king to be in this position, not for my glory, but for the glory of the Lord. And so if it's the Lord that did that, I am the conquered king, serving the most high king. And so there's something really powerful whenever you're able to take a, a humble position in your life and say, I am not the king of my castle. But I will make myself low so that he is made high. We look here in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. We read this last week. He says, blessed are the poor in, sp in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You look verses later on, and it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those are the sandwich bread pieces to the Beatitudes. The two pieces that say, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, it's described. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does poor in spirit look like? Read the rest of the Beatitudes. You'll find out a good representation of what it means to be poor in spirit as you're meek, as you're merciful, as you hunger and thirst after righteousness. All these things that it, it lists out in the middle of that, that passage group, it shows theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then, whenever you are poor in spirit, it actually shows at the tail end of that, that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Because guess what? If you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, if you're meek, you have self-control, if you have a, um, if, if you have a, a position of, of humility, being poor in spirit, if you're starting to do all these aspects, then you'll be persecuted for righteousness' sake because you're going to be living a lifestyle that is righteous. And it's not righteousness unto yourself. You've actually died to self in being poor in spirit, 
realizing, like David did here, that it is not my kingdom that I'm serving. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if you're meek, you're going to inherit the earth. And when you inherit the earth, you'll be able to bring the kingdom reality down to earth because you're living in a righteous position. Humility is at the forefront of every action so that whenever you act out, you're acting out not as unto yourself, but as unto the Lord. Everything you do will reflect what the Lord is doing. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We cannot put the presence of God into a system and then expect for us to have a manufactured, wonderful present time filled that could be written about in history books. If that is the intention of your heart, then you need to have a heart check. Because you don't see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. However, if your intention is for the Lord to come and impact your life, change you. Don't even talk about changing other people. I'm talking about have the Lord change you. Change your heart. Transform your heart. Renew your mind. Then you will start to see other people impacted in a way that you have never experienced or thought of before. And in doing that, you will start to find that there is a much better um, method of evangelism that the Lord could deliver to you. For each and every person you come in contact with, you realize you don't just have to hand them a track and then say, hey, if you just follow these things, you'll be saved. That may have worked a little while ago, but that's not working so much right now. That's not the way that people are receiving much of what God is, has in store for them. It may work like every once in a while. I watched there was a, 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 a documentary called Holy Ghost. And, uh, and in that documentary, there was a, a group of two guys, two friends, that, uh, that they went out into the city of Utah. And they were at the, at the capital. They were, I think they were in Salt Lake. Yeah, they were in Salt Lake. And, uh, and they were over by the Mormon Tabernacle, like the big Mormon church, the, the massive one. And uh, there was a guy, as they were walking down the, down the street, there was a guy standing on the corner, older gentleman, um, with a Bible in his hand, King James Bible. And he was just yelling out scripture about how they're all sinners and all kinds of things and quoting all kinds of stuff like that. And uh, he was there with his wife. His wife was sitting right next to him as he was standing up on the side. He was just yelling and shouting at the gate. It was like there was nobody there. He was just yelling and shouting as, as he was there. And, of course, some people would walk by, and they kind of like rolled their eyes and keep going. And uh, these two gentlemen that were in the documentary, they, they went over to um, to this fellow, and they were like, hey, man, like, hey, did, so, so, so proud of you for standing here and, you know, declaring what you feel is conviction and, and all this, how many people have you reached in the middle of this? And how long have you been here? They were like, he said, well, I've been here, I think he said upwards of like 15 years or so. He would go there on a consistent basis. May not have been every day, but he was going often and uh, doing the same thing. They're like, well, how many people have you reached? He said, I've, I've reached two people. Praise God for those two people we've reached. However, in the middle of that documentary, you saw those two individuals go through and they prayed for and saw God touch probably about seven or eight different individuals just as they walked down the street and they were just intentional about reaching out to somebody in love and compassion. 
and their hearts were made alive. We can't just put our faith in a system and a methodology thinking that that's going to be the thing that makes it happen. We have to be so intentional about listening to the voice. That's why we took some time today. It's, it's so important for us to stop and just listen to the voice of the Lord. So important for us to do that. Because, man, let me tell you, there's some people who do things really well, and they have some great organizations, they have great systems. And I'm not knocking that at all. The Lord can put on some people's hearts to do certain things, and it would really just build and equip people in different ways. However, we cannot put our faith in that system. This is why it's important for us to gather together, so we could be encouraged by one another, for us to be uplifted by the stories, the testimonies, the encouragements that are going on. I mean, you can just, if you come here early enough on Sundays, you can, you can talk to people as you just go and greet them, see what's going on in their life, and you can hear the testimonies of, of what's going on in Shane. You know, you can hear the things that God's doing, Randy, right? You can hear the things as you go through and talk to each and every person and find out the stories that God has been pulling people through and the, and the intentionality of the Holy Spirit to see them through every single circumstance, to watch them encounter through through addiction and pain and, and, and grief and death and life and all kinds of different things, you start to realize that God is much bigger than just a church service that we attend. You start to realize that the reason for gathering is not because we have a building. You start to realize that if you actually join with one another, you take the time to get to know one another. You have, you have people over at your house. You, you go out to eat with people. You, you know, you go and, and, and you go out of town, take trips with people and do things like that. You start to realize that there is more to the church than just the building. That it is the people that we are supposed to be here for. And there's a reason why we're supposed to treat church like family. However, there's a lot of us that have come from broken households. And so the definition of family looks a little bit differently sometimes which is why we cannot live by the standard of our upbringing. We have to live by the standard of Scripture. Come on, in everything that we do, we cannot live by the standard that was set before us by our friends, by our family, by those who, who we've been around, who have done things inadequately, who have hurt us, who may have manipulated us, who may have pushed us to the side, who may have taken advantage of us, all kinds of things that we've experienced. However, whenever you look at the representation from the gospel, you see that Jesus did life differently than those representatives. The Pharisees were constantly ticked off at Jesus because of the way that he spent time with others. He didn't go seeking out having to go into all the places where people who were quote-unquote sinners, which is a funny thing because everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but those who were righteous, quote-unquote, those who were religious, that's a better word, were quick to call certain people sinners, and say that Jesus should not have been around these individuals. But whenever Jesus would come into a community, people could not help but invite him to come to some different things that they were doing. Because they knew there was something different that he carried, that they wanted a part of. They, they at least wanted, they were curious about, they wanted to find out more about. And so you don't have to go seeking out riffraff in order to go into to witness to people. If your light shines, like in Matthew chapter 5, right after the Beatitudes, he talks about how we're supposed to be like a city set on a hill. We're not supposed to be like a lamp that you put a bowl over or something like that. You don't do that with lamps. You actually take that off and you display the light so that other people can see. So if you're displaying the light in your everyday lifestyle, as you walk, as you speak with others, as you connect with them, then it's going to be the light inside of you that draws them towards you. It's not you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
And if we're in tune with the Holy Spirit, listening to his voice with every single thing, with all intentionality in our heart to please the Lord, then we're going to be able to hear his heart for that person. And we'll be able to say stuff that we never thought we would say to somebody else. Maybe you would connect with them in a way that you never thought you would before. But it's only through the intention of listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit that you're going to be able to find that. If you're spending time with God, reading the Bible, the benefit of memorizing scripture is not just so that you can check, uh, you know, you check that off your list of I'm more righteous now because I've done it. Even the way that you say that, I'm just more righteous because that's a negative view of righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after that. You'll be satisfied. So if you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, if you truly want to please God, if you want to be blessed by your relationship with God and not feel conflicted and convicted every single time that you walk out something because your mind is not right, then you need to get scripture in your mind so that you can be made right. We need to start living from a sanctified place. We give too much excuses for ourselves. Say, I'm in the process, pastor. Get out of the process. Some of you guys just need to get out of that. Your process is your excuse. Some of you guys are, I'm, t- I'm telling you, some of us use the process as an excuse to continue in sin. It's okay, I'm just in a process. You've been a process for 25 years now, and you haven't moved too much further from the beginning place that you were at. We need to walk out our salvation, our, our salvation with fear and trembling, intentional about pleasing God and not pleasing the flesh. It's a war between the flesh and the spirit. We can't be so, so worried about what's going out in the world whenever your own heart is corrupted. Who cares about what's going out in the world whenever your soul is, is not even in line with the spirit of God? I can't worry about politics. I can't worry about what's going on in the school system. I can't worry about what's going on in my family. I can't worry about any of these other things if my heart is not right. Because then I'm speaking out of a corrupted heart and a corrupted nature and a self-centered place of, of conviction. It's really not conviction. It's manipulation then. Can't give a thus saith the Lord because God's not saying it. Come on, we need to stop putting the presence of God on a cart. Put that thing on your shoulders and start walking with intentionality. I've used this example, Bill Johnson. I love, I love listening to Bill Johnson speak about this, and he quotes a guy named R.T. Kendall, where they had a, 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 fr- a ministry friend of theirs that was in, um, I'm going to quote this to you so that you guys know I'm serious. This is my last word. Um, <laughs> he, had, he had a ministry friends that were in Israel, and they noticed that they had a group of doves that were kind of, they made a nest outside their kitchen window. It's beautiful. They're beautiful doves. I mean, they love seeing them out there. I mean, you could just look out and you could just see those doves and they just congregate in there. And they feed them every once in a while and stuff like that. It's really fun. But they noticed that if, they, if their voices got loud, like, too quickly, or if maybe they slammed a door or something like that shut, then those doves would fly away. And they're like, oh my gosh. And they sat and they thought about it. They're like, okay, these doves are not just going to get used to a slamming doors or, you know, yelling out for someone across the room. They're not going to get used to that. They're just finicky like that. They're going to flutter away every time. And then we miss them. Instead, we need to change the way that we do life so that they can stay around there. In the baptism story, when you see Jesus get baptized by John the Baptist, um, the Gospels say that, that the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. 
And so I love the example of, of looking at both of those stories and thinking of it like in the position, because you see that he descended like a dove, but it doesn't say that it ever went away from Jesus. He hosted the presence of God wonderfully. He was God, but just go with me here. He showed us how to facilitate a life surrendered to God, surrendered to his father. He would slip away consistently in the wee hours of the morning and go pray. He would say, I have to be alone with my father. He made it a point to tell, as God, made it a point to tell the disciples, I need to be away and pray for a while. Even though I can minister at whatever capacity I need to, I still need to slip away. I need to be with my father. And so if we, if, if, if you look at it as those two stories put together, if, if that dove was resting on the shoulder, if you were to look at someone with a dove on their shoulder, every step that you take cannot be abrupt. It cannot be uh, unthought of. You have to really think about every single step you take, how you're going to turn, how you're going to move, how you're going to speak, at what volume you're going to use your voice, how you're going to sit, how you're going to go throughout your everyday process. And so if that's the case, then you take every single step with the dove in mind. And so you're not putting the presence on a cart and just slapping the hide of that ox and just saying, get out of here. Come on, we're going in. We're going to Jerusalem. Because that, that, that ark is going to rock and rock and rock. However, if you put it on your shoulder, you're very intentional with every step that you take, knowing that you're carrying the, the presence of God. So every place that you go, I'm looking at making sure there's not a rock in its place. I'm looking to make sure that if we have to move, that I'm communicating with the other people who are also hosting the presence of God and saying, hey, you're on that corner and you're back there. I can see right here. I'm going to have to dip down or maybe we should shift to the right a little bit so that when we walk, it can be more stable. Then you don't just start working in tandem with your, within yourself and the Holy Spirit. You start working with other people who are hosting the presence of God in a way to where you can all have your perspective that God has given you, which is why the body is so necessary. I can't just be a foot. I can't just be a foot. That's it. Like, I, that's not just me. I'm not just a foot. I have a whole set of body. Like, there's a whole, whole bunch of stuff going on right here in order for me to move around and talk to you guys. There's more than just toes, right? And so we need every aspect of the body together so that whenever something comes up, we can be made aware of it. And it's not to condemn us. It's to, it's to make us aware of something that we may have to shift. It may be a heart posture that we have to get corrected, but it's not out of spite. It's out of wisdom. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for you will see God. Blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they will be satisfied. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. in the presence are you the king of your castle or are you a conquered king being fine with, with being humiliated in the eyes of people because you are bringing the presence of God everywhere that you go are you okay with being ridiculed a little bit if you are you'll notice that the kingdom of heaven will be evident in everything that you do and it won't be for your glory. It'll be for the glory of God. Why don't you guys bow your heads with me this morning?
Father, thank you so much for these people. Thank you for your word. Thank you for humility. Thank you for justice. Thank you for your righteousness. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for great examples in scripture. Thank you for people who made mistakes to show us that we are also free to make mistakes. But God, thank you for showing us people who made things right by submitting themselves to you and realizing what they needed to do to host your presence. God, forgive us of the times that we've put your presence on a cart and expected for great things to happen out of disobedience. Lord, help us to, to remind ourselves to continuously put that pole on our shoulders and to host your presence in a way that is pleasing unto you. Lord, we make, we make all the room, we clear out the rooms in our soul that are cluttered and preoccupied with things that are not of you. Holy Spirit, we invite you to invade every single space, every single hurt, every single bitter area, every single place that we feel rejection, every single place we feel like we're not enough, every single place that we feel like we are just a complete screw up, every single place that we feel like we cannot come back from whatever it is that we're doing, every single place that we feel like we've been manipulated, that we've been ousted, that we've made mistake after mistake after mistake, every inadequate thought process about who we are in you, and we offer that to you. We give you our rags and thank you that you bless us with the richness of your spirit. We humbly throw our crowns, brittle and battered as they are, at your feet. We remove the facade and the masks that we wear, the false clothing of righteousness, the false clothing of whatever it is that we want to be recognized as, and we throw that at your feet as well. Strip down in front of those, it's, Michael said in front of the slave girls and the concubines and those, she brought out the, the, the people who she felt like were the worst of the worst in that kingdom. Lord, thank you that, that even in the eyes of those who could be seen as the worst of the worst, those who could be seen as the best of the best, Lord, that we can still remain humble as we seek after you and as we give you all the glory. Lord, help us be conquered kings and queens, realizing that it is better to sit at your table as a son and a daughter than it is to have a crown of our own with a kingdom that is soon to crumble. Purify our hearts, sanctify our souls, cover us with your glory. We honor you this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. presence is so sweet.
you feel like you want to touch from the Lord and this this really impacted you, then I, I encourage you to come up and, and receive prayer. If you need to go get your kids or if you need to leave, then you are free to go as well. But if you want, if you're wanting to dig in a little bit deeper in today, and say, Lord, this is me stepping out in faith and activation, saying that I want to host the presence of God in that way. I encourage you to come up. We're gonna have a couple of us pastors up here and we're gonna we're gonna pray for you. I encourage you to do so if you feel led. But if you need to go get your kids or you need to leave, then 100% free to do so. You're dismissed. Um, but those of you guys who would like to receive prayer, come on up here. And uh, we'd love to pray with you. Go in peace. Be blessed in Jesus' name.